And as, as we've talked about what our life in Christ looked like as we grew up in the church, it, it's kind of interesting to look back on that and to see that oftentimes it seemed that Christianity was, was defined as a list of do's and don'ts. Uh, maybe you grew up in the church in that same way, that oftentimes Christianity was defined by the goal was living a good moral lifestyle. Uh, the list of do's could be, you know, do attend church, do read your Bible, do pray, uh, don't uh, go to high school parties, don't go to the movies. Anybody grow up that way? Movies were a bad thing. This is what I love about the fact that I now lead a church that has a movie theater in the foyer. <laughs> oh, how ironic. <laughs> I love that. But that was, in, in large part, how Christianity was defined for the household I grew up in. And not that that's a terrible thing. I will tell you this. If you're following Jesus, your life should look different than the world around you. Absolutely. And I want to reinforce that. I mean, if I were to ask you what you thought it looked like to follow Christ, what your view of Christianity was, it might include, you know, donating food to the food pantry, which is a great thing. It could include serving as a floor host. So there's lots of things that we could choose to define Christianity under. And so what I want to do this morning as we get into Luke chapter 5 is we need Jesus to define for us what it means to follow him. Jesus should be the one who defines Christianity for us, and he does. And so we're going to get into Luke chapter 5, and, and as we do that, we're going to get into a new section of Scripture. We started with you know, Luke 1 and 2 with God is here. God sent his son, the incarnation. It was an incredible thing. And then it was all about getting ready, Jesus getting ready to serve in ministry. We need to get ready for Jesus to use us. And then we transitioned into a time of water, wilderness, and wonder, and, and we've talked through that at great length. But now we're in a section on follow me. Two really important words. Jesus says, follow me. So we're going to be there this morning. And as we get into that section, what we're going to find is Jesus defines Christianity very simply. Five words. Following Jesus is making disciples. Following Jesus is making disciples. And so I want to talk about what that looks like and how Jesus defines our life in Christ that way. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, you're new to the church, we have Bibles underneath the pew in front of you. Uh, you're welcome to use that one this morning, and you could take it home with you if you don't have one at home. We want you to have God's Word. God gave His Word as a gift to us. And so I'm also going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. Uh, we stand simply out of reverence for the fact that God gave us his word. What an incredible gift, our tool book for life. Uh, in this book, we find life has meaning, and it gives us specifically what that meaning is supposed to be. Um, so we thought we'd have a lot of fun with the scripture reading this morning. We've just been in the land of the Bible, and so we know at least the general area of where this particular passage took place. And what I want you to do is get a picture of, as we look at Luke, these things happened in real spaces, in real time, and so we want to give you a picture of that today. So the scripture reading this morning, you may want to follow on the screen, is going to be from the place where this scripture took place. So tune into the screen, and we've got the scripture reading. We could play that. I'm standing on the shores of what Christians would call the Sea of Galilee. I'm standing in ancient Capernaum, and not far from where they believe the docks to have been, from this fishing town. And so I just want to read from Luke chapter 5, um, 
this morning to be able to share with you from this site where this scripture took place. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, obviously the lake behind me. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The very words of God. You may be seated this morning. Isn't it amazing to not only hear Scripture, but to see the place where it takes place? I think it demystifies things. That really is one of the best takeaways of going and visiting the land by which these stories in large part took place. Because then all of a sudden you're standing in that place and it's like you, you, you see it. It's no longer this is just some story you saw in my age bracket on flannel graph in Sunday school. Anybody have flannel graphs? Okay, this is like the ultimate flannel graph. You know, you get to see the video of where it took place. <laughs> but it really does. As, as we started the Gospel of Luke, we started it back in December. What we started with is the introduction to Luke. And here's what Luke said in the scripture. He said this, It seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Here's what Luke is doing. Luke is taking and retracing the steps of all of these stories. He went and walked on the banks of the Galilee, of Lake Gennesaret, because he wanted to see where these things took place. He was a great historian, and Theophilus has asked him, can you go and write an orderly account for me of these things? I want to know more about it. Luke is actually writing as a bit of a skeptic. And that's what I love about being in the land because you really can't be a skeptic when you see where these things took place because it all of a sudden becomes very, very real. Luke investigates the story of Jesus. He researches him. He researches as a solid ancient historian. The story of Jesus that we're walking through that almost 30 people got to see with their own eyes where these things took place. The area I was standing on to read the scripture passage was a real dock area from a village called Capernaum, where you can still go today and see where they say the remains of Peter's house is. So these things are real. The, the stories in this book are not fiction. They're real. And we need to understand it that way. And if you haven't embraced this good news, the story of Jesus, and made it a part of your life, could I encourage you today? Start reading a chapter of Luke a day. Start asking God, God, make this real to my life. These are real words written for us as God's instruction book in life. And as we examine the passage this morning that we're going to get into, we'll discover the reason that we were created. We were created to follow Jesus and make disciples. People often ask that question, you know, what's the meaning of life? 
Jesus lays it out right here, and we're going to look at that in the passage that we just read this morning. And so the first point this morning is this, is that to follow Jesus, you must respond when it doesn't make sense. To follow Jesus, you must respond when it doesn't make sense. Simon and his crew, what we find is that they've been fishing all night. They were tired. They were hungry. And we find from the narrative that they caught nothing. So obviously, I would think they're probably a little bit frustrated. Any frustrated fishermen out there? Can't catch anything? (laughs) You fish for hours and nothing shows up? Well, so Jesus approaches them, and he asks Simon to go out into the water. He wants to commandeer his boat. And what does Simon do? He takes Jesus into the water. He does exactly as he's asked. He might be tired, he might be hungry, he might be frustrated, but he responds to the invitation of Jesus. If Simon would have stayed on the shore, he would have never encountered the life-changing moment he was about to experience. You ever thought about that? Jesus invites Simon to be a part of his ministry. It's the same invitation that we have, because Jesus is about to go out to begin teaching to people. We don't hear a whole lot about that teaching, but Jesus invites Simon and says, I want you to be a part Come take me out from the shore. Simon takes him out, and he participates in the life-changing ministry of Jesus. You know, some of you, you've been content to stay on the shore. Uh, You're tired. Maybe you're a little bit frustrated with life. But Jesus is standing on the shoreline with you, and he's inviting you to a life of meaning and purpose. And the first thing you have to do to follow Jesus is get off the shore. It's pretty simple. Get into the boat with Jesus. Get out of your house. Get out of the church. You you have to get out. You have to go. We're going to find that command later in the gospel. You get off the shore. You get in the boat with Jesus. And then you experience the extraordinary. So I encourage you. Get off the shore. Now now let me ask you. As you get off the shore, you might experience things. You might be asked to respond when it doesn't make sense. Let me ask you, and this is not a trick question, so I'm not trying to set you up here. What was the trade of Jesus? Or maybe, better asked, what's the trade of Jesus' father, Joseph? Okay, carpenter. Now, those that went on the trip to Israel, what's your answer? Builder, tecton. Wow, they went to the Greek. That's an A student right there. (laughs) In the Greek, it's the word tecton. And the way that really is best translated is a builder. Someone who's a first century carpenter, a builder, they're the architect, they're the engineer, they're the ones who are building. And what you find as you visit the land of Israel is it's a land of abundant rocks. There's rocks everywhere. Everyone could be a pilgrim to Israel and take a rock back home and there'd be plenty to spare. There's just rocks everywhere. So they build with rocks. Their homes are built out of stones. So they're masons, they're carpenters, they're engineers. So this is the, this is the uh, occupation of Jesus. And now Simon Peter, what was his occupation? He's a fisherman. Let me ask you, if your trade, like your occupation is you're a professional fisherman, you're like a, a bass pro fisherman, okay? Pro bass fisherman. And you've got somebody who's like a builder sitting in your boat, and he tells you how to fish, how's that going to go? I'll tell you how that's going to go. Forget you. Go build a house. Leave the fishing to me, man. Right? That's going to be the response. But you see, Simon, he's, he's initially hesitant. But here's what he says. But at your word, I will let down the nets. He responds when it doesn't make sense. There will be moments in your life 
when Jesus asks you to do things that just don't make sense. Shelly and I, after we'd been married a couple of years, um, God started putting in, in Shelly's heart, probably before mine, because I was hesitant, because it didn't make sense, to, to move to Chicago. Um, we, I had grown up in Chicago, and, and uh, we were looking to go overseas. We needed to pay back our school loans before we could go overseas. And, and Shelly said, why don't we look at getting teaching jobs in Chicago? And I said, well, that doesn't make sense. It's expensive to live in Chicago. And so we just dismissed it. And then, you know, like a month later, what about Chicago? It doesn't make sense. We don't need to go there. A month later, it doesn't make sense. We don't need to do it. And sure enough, as I began to pray about it, so here's my word of advice. You know, so we were 22. I was 22 when we got married. 22-year-olds, no offense, young adults, don't always make the best decisions. May I encourage you, pray more, think less. And so I just began to pray about it, and God really moved on my heart. And I said, okay, Lord, I don't really understand how that's going to work out, but we'll go. And so we went, and we took the, the teaching examinations, uh, passed those, and the same weekend we took our examinations, I thought, well, I'll, I'll line up some interviews, and line up interviews, and I had three job offers before we even got back on the plane. So I, I took a job, Shelly took a job, and we worked for a couple of years, and what we didn't realize is, is that was setting up us up for our life overseas. We bought a house, and in selling that house, when we were going to go over to Africa, that paid off the rest of our school loans. So when you respond to Jesus when he doesn't make sense, you experience the extraordinary. We experience provision that we never thought was there. So I encourage you, respond to Jesus when it doesn't make sense. God may put in your heart, hey, it's summertime, your neighbors are out. God may say, hey, you know what? You should invite that neighbor over for a cookout. I don't know if that person even likes me. I drive by and they don't wave at me. You might need to respond when Jesus doesn't make sense. You never know what's going to come out of that conversation. You've got a coworker that you've never talked to, and Jesus says, you know what? You should say hi to that person. Respond when Jesus doesn't make sense. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Serve in an area in the church you never thought of before. There's places to serve in the church, and maybe God puts something in your heart, and all of a sudden you're like, you know what? But that, I don't feel like that fits me. But I challenge you, respond when it doesn't make sense. Part of following Jesus is responding when it just doesn't make sense. And because Simon is willing to respond, what happens for Simon? This is the best part. He responds when it doesn't make sense, and it says, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Because Peter, Simon Peter responded when it didn't make sense. He experienced the extraordinary. And over and over, that's been the experience for Shelly and I in our lives. I've, I've learned very quickly. In fact, actually, this is now my new metric. If it doesn't make sense, it's likely that's what I should be doing. Like, that's the way of Jesus. You know, we just follow him because it doesn't make sense. Uh, the, the catch, what we know, it really was miraculous because the type of nets that first century fishermen used, they used them at night because they were visible to fish during the day. So Jesus says, take those nets that the fish can see, even though you've been fishing all night, put them out and see what happens. And on one casting of the net, how many times do you think they were casting that at night? Over, bring them back in, over, one cast, the fish can see the nets, and they bring in more than they could hope to carry in two boats. That's awesome. And that's the way it is with Jesus. They toiled all night, they caught nothing, but they followed the command of Jesus, and they experienced the miraculous. Simon followed what Jesus said, and he experienced the extraordinary. You will never experience all that God has for you if you don't get off the shore, if you don't get in the boat with Jesus and respond when he asks you to do things. 
You'll never experience the extraordinary if you aren't willing to respond to Jesus when it doesn't make sense. If Jesus prompts you to invite a neighbor over for dinner or to have a conversation with a coworker, you have no idea what kind of discussion will take place and it could impact the life of that individual or family for eternity. So respond. If Jesus puts something in your heart, just follow after that. Obedience is what's required. Understanding usually comes later. Get off the shore. Get in the boat with Jesus and respond. To follow Jesus, you have to respond when it doesn't make sense. And the second point this morning is this, is that to follow Jesus, you must recognize your unworthiness. To follow Jesus, you must recognize your unworthiness. What happens to, to Simon when he brings in this huge catch? Here's what it says. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. What happens once you've decided to get off the shore, to get into the boat with Jesus, and, and you respond and you experience the extraordinary? All of a sudden, you come face to face with the King of Kings, and you realize you're really not worthy to be called a son or daughter of the King. But what happens here? Jesus meets Simon right there and says, you might not be worthy, but I make you worthy. It's the same calling that he has on our lives. And what's interesting is, is that this recognition, this realization that we're not worthy, this is actually the entry point into the kingdom of God. In a couple of months, we're going to get into a section of scripture called the Beatitudes, a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's one of my favorite sections of scripture because it's all about what Jesus was trying to teach us as it relates to being citizens of the kingdom. And the very first point he says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who understand they're not worthy for theirs is the kingdom of God. You have to start there. Because when you realize you're not worthy, when you realize your need of a savior, that's where Jesus meets you, and you get to experience the extraordinary in whole new ways. And this is why your baptism into the kingdom of God begins with God the Father speaking over your life, that you are loved, you are a child of God, and I'm pleased with you. We talked all about that with our identity in him in water, wilderness, and wonder. He speaks that over our lives so that we can embrace and hold on to that. Of course, then the enemy comes in the times of the wilderness and speaks false identity. It says that you are what you do, but we know we're not. That you are what you have. That has nothing to do with it. You are what other people think of you. Those things don't matter. We need to stay firm to what our identity is in Jesus so that we can live out who we're meant to be in his name. So that we can experience the extraordinary in our lives. And if you hold close to that identity as a son or a daughter of the king, then you get to experience the wonder of following Jesus. You witness the extraordinary happening in and through your life. And you become exceedingly grateful that you get to be a part of what God is doing in the world. As we took some people to uh, Israel from the church, and uh, we actually had two different groups. So the first part was a study tour, and the second part is we had some of our church leadership come so that we could talk about what God is doing in the world and how Connection Point can be a part. And so one of the places we visited was a place called Nebi Samuel. And it's where they believe that the prophet Samuel, uh, that his tomb is. The Crusaders actually moved his tomb. This is where they talk about. And it gives you an unbelievable vantage point. What you do is you stand on this mountaintop, this hillside. You're looking into Gibeah, which is where Joshua asked the sun to stand still. So I love to go there and talk about vision because God did the impossible there. Joshua asked God, make the sun stand still, and he did the impossible. How many know we serve the God of the impossible? 
we do. And we can ask God for impossible things. And Solomon, this is the other cool part about that place, it says that he went to the high point of Gibeah, and there he asked the Lord, he asked God for wisdom, and God gave it to him. So we took time to talk about vision there. And as we get into the fall, we're going to get into September, uh, we'll share a vision vi uh, video with you in terms of where we really have been praying and seeking the Lord and asking, God, where are you leading the church and, and what do we need to do to prepare for that? And what's been really neat over the last couple of months is I've uh, talked to Bill McKee, who is the founder of this church. If you don't know Pastor Bill, an incredible guy. I've talked to uh, Don Austin, who is the second pastor of the church. And of course, Ted Brust, who was the person that uh, was serving the church right before I arrived. And talking with all three of these great men of God, what's incredible to see is, as I, my question was this, what was God speaking to your heart when you were here serving the church, when you were leading the church? And what's amazing is, as we look at the vision of the church, we see that that vision hasn't changed. All three of them God spoke to in particular ways, and that's exactly where we see the trajectory of the church going. And so as we were standing there praying with our leadership and just praying over God, what are you doing in the church? I tell you, there just came an a moment of, of gratefulness. So the church is, uh, Bethel Church has been 30 plus years. And to realize that God has been aligning things for this moment as we head into the fall and just to feel the gratefulness of um, God. You know, we're not, we're not worthy, but you call us anyway. Grateful to say you know, God, you could have used any one of those men of God to do what you wanted to do, but of course, everything is in your time. And if you don't know anything about uh, the previous pastors here, man, they just want the best for, for God in this church. Um, Pastor Ted in particular, you know, his heart, as he was a part of, of putting this facility in place, he said, I'm building the future for the next guy. Who does that? The great men of God do. And so it was just incredible as we stood there and prayed and to realize, God, we're not worthy to be in this place for such a time as this, but God, we sure are grateful. And there's times as you're following after God and you experience the extraordinary, you come to a place where you realize your unworthiness, but then Jesus meets you there and says, but I've prepared you for this, and now I want you to step into it. So I encourage you this week in your time of, of prayer, Bible reading, stop and slow down for a minute and just reflect in the goodness of God and be grateful for where God has put you and the life that he has for you as you step into that boat with him and you experience the extraordinary. And even if you realize you're not worthy, it's okay. That's the entry point into the life that God has for you. And embrace it. As you follow Jesus, don't be surprised when you have moments when you question your worthiness. But no, Jesus wants to meet you there. He still wants you to follow him. The last point this morning is this, is that to follow Jesus... You must make disciples. Simon and his companions, they, they take on this huge catch. Simon recognizes he's not worthy to be in the same boat as Jesus. And, but how does Jesus respond? This is what I love. Simon says, I'm not worthy. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus almost doesn't even address that. Like, come on. I've called you for such a time as this. And you're called to be catchers of men. And what I love about this word that Jesus uses here, when he tells them that they're going to be catching people, what he's actually referring to is capturing something alive. In other words, to spare life. This is what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, you're no longer going to catch fish to kill them and sell them in the market. What you're going to do is you're actually going to be a part of rescuing people and liberating them. 
What an awesome thing. He totally tells this metaphor, this, this play on words. What he's basically saying is, you're now going to go catch and capture people who have been held hostage, and you're going to release them in my name. That's the life you're called to. What an awesome thing that Jesus tells us is our meaning and purpose in life. You're called to set people free. And if you remember back to Luke chapter 4, this is exactly what Jesus said was his mission. Luke chapter 4, Jesus is standing in the synagogue in Capernaum, and Jesus pulls open the, the scroll to Isaiah 61, and here's what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He's talking about the poor in spirit. And to proclaim liberty to the captives. Same terminology. So Jesus came to preach to the poor in spirit, to the unworthy, people like Simon and you and I, so that we could be set free. And then he invites us to be a part of that same thing so that we can help liberate people as well. So what Jesus is saying is, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be setting people free from their spiritual poverty. What an awesome thing that we get to do. But the question is, are you following Jesus in this way? And here's what I mean by that question. I already mentioned it in our introduction as we got into this message, but I, how, do you, how do you rate your life in Christ? Is your goal simply to live a good moral life? Or is your goal to make disciples? Because here's the difference between the two. If, you're, if your goal is simply to live a good moral life, I think you miss out on the picture, the opportunity you have to change the lives of others for eternity. You know, I, I think too often people could be sitting on the sidelines and looking at somebody else's life and to say, can you believe that they were arrested for a DUI? I thought they were a Christian. Can you believe that that person has been addicted to pornography? I thought they were a Christian. But here's the challenge when we only look at the moral life of someone. We totally miss the picture of what we're actually called to in living for Christ. I think that what God means for us to live like is to follow Jesus and make disciples. Because here's what happens. If your goal is disciple making, now all of a sudden you're a gatekeeper for somebody else's life. The reason I live a good moral life is because I want my kids to know what it means to follow Jesus. The reason I live a good moral life is because I'm responsible for a church full of people. And the same thing is for you. If you're making a disciple of somebody else, and all of a sudden they're watching your life, guess what you're going to start living like? You're going to start living like Jesus. That becomes the, the goal of your life because now you're responsible for someone else. I don't know, I'm a fan of Lord, on the, Lord of the Rings. Anybody know the scene where Gandalf is standing on that bridge and he puts down that staff and says, you shall not pass. Anybody know that part? It's like an epic scene. I love it. We should have that video somewhere. Oh, well, we don't. You'll have to go back and watch it. But it's awesome. He basically stands in the gap for his companions to say to this basically almost satanic, demonic figure, you shall not pass. And when you become a disciple maker, that's who you are. You stand in the gap for somebody else to say you shall not pass. And all of a sudden, you start living life like Jesus, because you, you understand you're responsible for somebody else's soul. You're responsible for somebody else's eternity. You start diving into the word of God. Why? Because that person starts asking you questions you don't have answers for. So you get on your face before God in the morning, you're like, God, I need answers. This person is asking me questions I never thought of. You start spending time in prayer because you realize you can't do it on your own and you need God's help. You know, I think what's interesting is Somebody may comment on somebody's moral life. And I will say this. 
Obviously, when we look at scripture, he says, you shall know someone by their fruit. If you're living for Jesus, it says that you put on his clothes, which is actually a playwright symbol. It talks about you being clothed like Jesus, that you look like him. So you will look different. Absolutely, you should have a good moral life. But that shouldn't be your chief aim. Your chief aim should make disciples, and out of that byproduct is that you live a good moral life. And so when we look at making disciples, if that's our chief aim, why isn't the question or the comment in church, this person's been in the church for 20 years. They've never made a disciple of somebody else. Nobody makes that comment. You need to look at that and think about that in your life. And, and let me say this, there is no condemnation in Christ. So I'm not here to, to, to make you feel condemned in any way, but I am here to call attention to the fact that I do believe we've missed it as the Western church and understanding that our life in Christ was not necessarily meant to be in making disciples. But look at how Jesus bookends his calling for his disciples. Luke chapter 5. Follow me, I'll make you catchers of men. Before he ascends unto heaven, go and make disciples of all the nations. Following Jesus is making disciples. So I challenge you today. If you don't have three people that you're praying for, three people that don't have a relationship with God, can you make a decision to say, I need to find three people that don't know Jesus and I need to start praying for them. You need to start praying that they understand their need of a savior. One of the challenges in the Western world is that because we have so many comforts, so much security, sometimes we don't understand our need of a savior. So you need to pray for conviction that they understand their need of a savior. You need to pray for opportunities for Jesus to, to be able to be proclaimed through your life into the life of another. Because here's what I know. Those five core values that we have in the church, you understand that you need to abide daily because you need Jesus to help you make disciples. You start to live the word. I want you to catch this. Because for many of the people in your life, you are the only word that they will ever read. You need to live the word because many of the people you interact with will never pick up a Bible, but they're watching your life and your life is the only word that they will ever read. Third thing is, is that you start to share the story of Jesus because you understand the person that's living next to you, the person who's in the cubicle next to you, they're far from God, and without you sharing the story of Jesus, they will be apart from him for eternity. You start to give generously because you want to see the name of Jesus proclaimed around the world. And you start to serve others because you understand the greater Lafayette area needs a witness of who Jesus is. If you're new to the church, those are our five core values, and those are our five core values because we understand at Connection Point that following Jesus is making disciples. I'm going to share a conclusion with you um, back on the shores of the Galilee. I want you to picture that Jesus is making this command to follow me from these shores. And maybe you need to recommit yourself this morning to what life is meant to be like in following Jesus. To say, Jesus, help me shift my mindset to understand that following you is making disciples. We could share that clip. Now, following Jesus sometimes includes not understanding what it is that Jesus is asking for you to do. That responding to him involves following him and, and things that just don't make sense. Peter, he's, he's out in the lake. He's being told by a carpenter. And he's a professional fisherman. Throw out your net. And Peter, although it doesn't make sense, he responds and he has a life-changing moment. His life was never the same from that day forward. And sometimes there's times in our lives, 
You know, maybe you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, and it, it doesn't totally make sense, but it doesn't have to make sense for you in the moment. Obedience is first, and understanding comes later. And maybe for you, maybe you've been following Jesus for a while, and, and the Lord prompts something in your heart, maybe to invite a neighbor over for a meal, maybe to talk to a coworker that, that you don't know, or, or maybe to serve in a way that you've never thought of before. There are times when we follow Jesus that he asks us to do something to respond when it doesn't make sense. And as we do that, sometimes as we then encounter Jesus in new and extraordinary ways, we come to the place of understanding that we're really not worthy to follow the King of Kings, the Son of the living God. But yet that's the starting point of what's required to follow Jesus, where we understand that we really aren't worthy to be in the presence of Jesus, but then he meets us there and he speaks purpose and, and meaning into our life. That as we then come to grips with who we can be in Jesus, who he invites us to be, that he invites us to a life of purpose and meaning. Even though we're not worthy, he makes us worthy. And then Jesus calls us to a life of purpose. He says, come, follow me, and I'll make you catchers of men. Because following Jesus is making disciples. He comes, he he invites us to a life that only He can invite us to. We respond even though we don't understand. And then our life is changed. And then He invites us into a place where we can be a part of changing the lives of others. And we change them for eternity. Follow Jesus. Make disciples. The last verse we read this morning, it says, verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed Him. They left everything and followed him. I don't know if you thought about that, but that means they left that incredible catch behind. <laughs> they left everything and said, Jesus, we want to be a part of your community. We want to be a part of your mission. Can you make that statement today with your life? Jesus invites you, follow me. I'll make you catchers of men. Follow me. I'll give you life eternally. Follow me, and I give you meaning and purpose for life. What an awesome thing we're invited to. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close in song this morning. And as you're standing, I'd like to ask, as a part of our closing, maybe you've been reluctant to follow Jesus. You've never made that decision to say, God, I want to turn my life over to you. God, I realize that I need you in my life. But maybe you're here today and you understand that invitation is for you. And you'd like to say, today... I choose to follow Jesus. I want to respond to that calling from 2,000 years ago that Simon said yes to. I want to say yes to that. How could your life look different? What kind of meaning and purpose could you have in life if you said yes to Jesus today? So with every head bowed here this morning, I want to give that invitation today that if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never said yes, I want to follow you, if you just simply raise your hand, I want to pray with you before we go today and before we close in song. Anybody here today would say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to respond in the way that Simon and James and John did. Simply raise your hand and we'll pray with you before we go today. Anybody say, yes, I've been reluctant, but today is my day. I want to say yes to him. Over here on the right, anybody else? Anybody else say, I want to say yes to you, Jesus. I want to follow you for a lifetime. Well, let me pray. Lord, we just thank you that we can follow you with all of our heart and soul and mind. And I pray, Lord, that you'd equip us to do it and to do it well. Help us, Lord, to follow you with all of our heart and soul and strength. God, I pray for those that raise their hand today. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to live for you for a lifetime as a part of the kingdom of God. I pray that they would 
wake up to that invitation and understand that you promise eternity and you also promise meaning in this life. Give them strength to live for you, to journey with you for a lifetime. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Pastor Mark, if you don't mind to come near here to the front, if you raised your hand today or maybe you didn't raise your hand, what we want to do is give you a Bible and simply information on what it means to follow Jesus for a lifetime. You're not meant to follow Jesus alone. You're meant to do that with a community of people along with you. So if you made that decision today, I would encourage you, um, come down and find Pastor Mark, and he'll give you a Bible and information on where you go from here in following Jesus. And otherwise, we're going to sing. And I challenge you today, shift your mindset. As we close in song, rededicate your life to following Jesus. Respond anew today. As you look at the shoreline, as we go there, I always challenge people, go back to when you first made that decision to follow Jesus. And now what is he calling you to in life now? What are, where is he asking you to follow him? Um, following him is making disciples. So rededicate your life today as you make that decision to follow him anew. And let's just close in song.